Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, and welcome back to podcast number 38. Today, I have on my special guest, Tammy McCracken, psychotherapist turned Krav Maga practitioner and self-defense instructor. Tammy, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for doing this with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to talk about all things self-defense related, and I think we want to focus on some maybe more philosophical points of self-defense and getting women involved in that circle. I know when we had our first phone conversation, you know, one of the pressing questions I've had on my mind, and I think I told you I'd asked a previous guest on the show, Kelly Sayre, similar types of questions is how do we um, get more people interested in their personal safety and involved? But And so that's where I kind of want to start things. But before that, I want you to tell our guest who you are, what your background is, your history, what you do, and kind of how you got to where you are today. Um, sure. <laughs> that's always a, it's a little bit of a, a, a windy, twisty little trail. So I'll try to keep it from being an, an a novel. <laughs> um, so I am, I'm not young, so I'm over 50. And, and so there's a, a lot of twists and turns along the way. I, my fundamental training for the majority of my adult life, I've functioned as a psychotherapist. I practiced, I lived in Texas for over 25 years and had a practice in that area and did a lot of other things in the journey of being a psychotherapist. My actual original degree is in special education. So this has been a very interesting journey from, you know, the mid 1980s forward. And, but as it relates to getting into martial arts and then into self-defense, I, my first journey into martial arts was actually in my um, early 30s, I had one of my kiddos was doing the whole, you know, sort of traditional martial arts thing yeah, and trying to be, you know, like doing the good mom thing and being involved. It's like, I'll do this too. And then we can do it together sort of thing. And did a variety of, of things, mostly Taekwondo and then Tai Chi through that traditional martial arts journey. Sure. And one of the things that evolved along the way while I was also in private practice is doing work with the Harris County Victims Assistance Program, which Harris County is the big county that encompasses Houston, Texas. And the Victims Assistance Programs, for the listeners who may not be familiar with them, are, are sort of government-sponsored in a way, like they're, they're local programs through the, the judicial system and law enforcement system that provide some degree of support and counseling for folks who are going through the system who've been targeted for violent action. And they're in the, the criminal justice system is grinding away in, in support of whatever prosecution may be taking place. And the victims assistance programs provides a limited number of counseling sessions for those individuals while they're in the process. Okay. And, and you, so as a psychotherapist, you get involved with that and, they vet you and then you 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 are you choose to take those folks on as they give you a call and say hey we've got somebody who needs your support so yeah i did that kind of work and then as a psychotherapist i also did a, a significant amount of work in just general clients who had been survivors of various kinds of violence and post-traumatic stress disorder so 
doing that kind of work over the years and then also being a traditional martial artist discovered that there's that point at which there's a point of time on the couch to use that phrase that when somebody completes for that period of their life have completed their therapeutic journey there's still this with this little place of personal agency or personal authority that the couch couldn't give back. So traditional therapeutic processing, regardless of the approach or theoretical orientation that you take, is not going to be able to touch that raw physical place of the, of agency that was taken in that violent attack or violent encounter. We can theoretically address it a hundred ways from Sunday, but that the physical aspect of it is we just can't touch it on the couch. Not really. And the more that became evident. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, it has to be, if it was physically taken, it has to be physically regained is my theory at a point. So I recognizing traditional martial arts and how, lengthy that journey is before you reach fundamental competency, which is the black belt when it's not a black belt factory kind of a, of yeah. a training center. Yep. That's not, I knew that wasn't going to be the approach that I could recommend as a psychotherapist for people. Cause it's like, Hey, go invest in 10 years of martial arts training to reach the point where you begin to feel like you've got that agency back. Yep. And the through, through that journey, I met a Krav Maga instructor who was just developing a program in the Houston area. He was one of the first guys to really kick things off in Houston. This was a while ago. So, um, and, and we ended up creating a little connection and I referred some people to him with the caveat, like you can't like try to enroll them financially as students. Cause that gets sketchy for me as a psychotherapist making those kinds of recommendations, but I have this theory that something like Krav that at the foundational level, and I know you and I share a Krav background, could really create a a very quick touchstone of, even if they don't want to invest in a physical training program, that they can at least know in the back of their minds, I could do this if I I wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. And... So I had a couple of clients take me up on the offer. They went and did a couple of classes with him. One of them stuck with it for a good long period of time. And, and that was, so the, the things lined up there, the idea that if, if I could do something that could teach me relatively quickly, that I can regain this personal agency, that there would, there would be a, a switch that could flip. So I started training because don't recommend something you haven't done. Right. So I started training in Krav became an instruct certified instructor in Krav Maga. And even through that journey, eventually reached a point of there's still some missing pieces yep. when it comes to actual down and dirty self-defense at its most basic level, which launched me back into, you know, the training and the studying journey, which brought me here. So that's sort of a, the twisty little tale. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, one question that did enter my mind <clears throat> as you were talking through that, and it, it completely resonated with me when you said it as you said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you said those that have been through, you know, physical 
things, violence, acts of violence, your theory was is that in order to be able to more fully or completely recover, or at least start recovering from that, they needed to go through something similar uh, themselves to prove that they could do it themselves or or they were capable of doing that to kind of help re- restart their engines, I guess, is the way I have it in my head. Um, were, have you been able to prove that theory? And is that proven to be what it what it actually takes or have you found other things or you just found that wasn't the case at all like where did you come out of that or are you still working on it well i'm certainly still working on it <laughs> um i think it's and i think i i think it's a, a two things one i have discovered that over time i'm working with people who have violence in their background men and women alike so it doesn't it's not gender specific here that Taking to the mat and something that is basic, foundational, raw, just learning how to take care of yourself physically in these con- in this context has definitely made a difference for those individuals who are stepping on the mat and being able to regain a sense of agency. Certainly not everybody who's been through a, a violent encounter has to go through a physical training experience or program to be able to feel like their journey is as complete as as it will ever be as we journey through life. So it's not like if you don't do this, you're not, you're going to be left unfinished. I think that people who find that they notice this feels like uh, there's still a piece of self-doubt. There's still a question. There's still a, uh, an internal dialogue about can, should I face this again? Will I act differently? Will I have, you know, w- what will happen for me if I end up in this situation again? Yeah. People who carry that when a, a pivotal point for, and then I think just overall education, like people could so much of self-defense is not the physical piece. And to know that like I've got a I've got all kinds of tools in my toolbox that I can access should I need to or should I choose to is it goes to the non physical side and I think that that is also a pivotal piece. So I think it's a both and that makes sense. That was a little a little twisted there in my response. <laughs> no, I think, you know, in my mind, the word that keeps coming up, and I know in some circles they say it's actually not a good word to use, but I, I struggle with that. I keep thinking empowerment, right? Like getting back to where you feel like, you know, you're feeling whole again, you're feeling capable, uh, even if you never felt capable before. Maybe now that you've gotten a little training under your belt, you're getting confidence back, and it's, dare I say it again, empowering. Um, you know, I think, yeah, go ahead. yeah, the word's gotten, the word's gotten a little, um, it's been used so much. Yeah. I think that it's, it, people are getting a little glitchy with it. Sure. They, wh- however we use the language, it's just that personal agency. Yeah. Um, you also, uh, touched on something that I know we wanted to talk about today and we, we kind of touched on it in our first phone call, but um, talking about even with Krav, even though I think it's my personal opinion, maybe it is yours too, but I think Krav does a better job of addressing actual self-defense 
methods and techniques better than some of the traditional martial arts do. At least I know they did for me. Uh, so I definitely want to uh, talk about that. But um, g- getting back to this whole thing, and of course, you kind of have a unique feeder to um, the program through uh, helping people that have had trouble uh, situations occur in their lives, you know, helping them work through those or whatever. And that's kind of a unique input into, I'm sure, your schools and training. Um, but outside that and back kind of the normal paths, um, and again, kind of the question where I started, cause it's one that's always on my mind and, uh, we'll, we'll be all over the place today, I'm sure, but that's okay. We'll let it go where it goes, um, is people, uh, or specifically women, if we want to focus on that, which I do some of the time today anyway, um, how do we get them more interested you know not everybody's been through a violent encounter some people think they can't do it or you know some people have avoid it because hey it'll never happen to me or i don't have the time how do we get people or women specifically to take more of an interest in their personal safety and get them more involved in programs like yours and others that is the million dollar question and i keep getting that answer <laughs> well, and every and I get I've been asked this a bunch over the years, and every time I get asked, I ask the question. I think I'm prepared to answer it, and then I end up sitting here for a second, not knowing what to say. Um, it, it's because it's it's both simple and complex at the same time. So yeah. the simple answer is, you know, making training options and education options abundantly available, and is the is the simple answer, but the complexity is, and you've already touched on it, are all of the reasons, explanations, excuses, et cetera, for not training. And like, I don't have time or I don't need it or, and, you know, so I think there's a, a deeper linchpin that none of us have quite figured out how to leverage yet, which is, this is, this is fundamentally about training for and from a place of power and I think self the self-defense language and I use it all the time so I'm 100% guilty of this the self-defense language speaks to victimization it does yeah. and you know it really does and, and and we so somehow we have to figure out how to change the primary message and you know, and how do we do that? Because people are so, you know, we, we have this joke at our training center here in Northern Virginia, and we talk about what we teach, that, you know, self-defense, for example, the term itself is a, is a legal term, and it's, yeah. an affirm, it's an affirmative defense, right? So when you say active in self-defense, you've just admitted to committing some level of assault, if it's, you know, at a physical level, yeah. and, and but, but you think you should be able to get away with it, right? So that's an affirmative defense. And so what we really do when we're teaching the physical skills, like at our training centers, we're teaching people how to effectively evaluate escalating situations and make good decisions under pressure and stress, including when to use physical violence to get themselves done safely when needed. That plays very poorly over the door. <laughs> so, like, yep. You can't put all of that on a sign, right? So you yep. can say, you know, self-defense. I get asked um, that question all the time. I just want to know, I need you to tell me when I should go. 
you know. Yeah. When when do I go? Uh, yeah. When do I know I should throw the first punch or pull my gun? When do I go? And the answer is always, well, and they hate it. It depends. <clears throat> it depends. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I have students who train with me for a long time, including some of my instructors who will ask the question and they'll look at me and they'll say, and you can't answer. It depends. <laughs> you can't say that. It's like, well, yeah, I, um, then I can't answer your question. <laughs> I just did a podcast last night uh, with a buddy of mine, but it was he kind of was the genesis of it. But then I've been talking to a follower off and on, and we did a podcast on personal safety for the disabled. And there's varying degrees of disabled, right? And th that's what this one gentleman's question was. He suffers from Crohn's, and so from day to day, his physical abilities vary. Some days he's so weak and can barely walk around on his own, right? And then other days he might be capable right. of a hammer fist or an elbow strike or something. And he was like, I want to know, I want you to talk about and teach what physical techniques I could use in my position and i was before i even did the podcast i wrote him back and i said just so you know there is no magical bullets like i i'm not going to tell you here's the three techniques you should use all the time right they always want the answers right. and there's not necessarily a black and white magic bullet that's going to work for you every time um, yeah i love those you know what are the top seven things every woman should know it's like, ah. yeah right don't ask me that question like, well we've got seven elbows <laughs> there's a start <laughs> <laughs> um so i don't want to harp on krav too much but i think krav is an example of the larger uh, topic or problem that i want us to talk about a little bit in self-defense in general and again I think you feel the same way as obviously have a school doing it and you're an instructor and all of that. Yep. So, you know, suffice it to say, and it's one of the things that first attracted me to it <clears throat> back in, I think the first time I ever did Krav was 07, 08. I did a carjacking seminar and I knew before I went, I knew about Krav. And after that seminar, I was hooked, not because of all the fancy stuff we were doing, but generally the the focus being on self-defense, which coming from a more traditional Korean-based martial art, having a black belt in that, I never felt like I was solid in actual self-defense techniques, like doing all your little forms and patterns and katas don't aren't going to do you any good on the street, right? Not to overplay that record, but... Uh, Krav for me certainly, um, you know, was eye opening because I was like, here's a system that right out of the gate you're learning mostly practical stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But I still think, and you and I talked about this when we had our first conversation, I still think Krav is guilty of the same things that everyone else is, is that there's very little emphasis or, or focus on the informational pieces around self-defense because again and i think you said it too self-defense is always thought of in terms of physicality or tools or weapons right there's not right it's talked about for those of us that are in the you know around the inner campfire or whatever but there's not a lot of you know you, you don't go to class to sit there in the circle on the mat around the powerpoint presentation on situational awareness but I, I think that's exactly yeah. what's missing in a lot of cases. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Or what are you doing to combat I, that? Oh, so you're preaching to the choir and 
I'm with you 100% on that one. And and we do have some things that we're doing to combat it. And, you know, I so Krav is, I'm like you. I once, you know, I transitioned from traditional martial arts into Krav. I was hooked hard. And it is, it does, it's, it's pretty basic. It's gritty. It's based on, you know, what generally is happening. And it is a combat fighting system. Yeah. So it's one of the best things I ever heard as far as a description about what Krav Maga was when it was when I was at a training camp in Israel. And, and one of the senior instructors said, Krav Maga is a combat fighting system with application to self-defense. I'm like, that's it. That's the phrase. Yeah. As opposed to Krav Maga is self-defense. Yeah. It's a fighting system. Yeah. And, you know, and it's got stuff in it that, you know, like our long gun defenses, they're fun. But, you know, walking down the street in Northern Virginia, I'm not too worried about having to defend somebody who's got an AR slung across their shoulder in the CVS. You know, it's like, it's just, a, it's, you know, it's just not, doesn't, it's not quite as relative. Plus, some of the things that we teach in Krav Maga with, without a, the appropriate context are going to land you in jail. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just all there is to it. So, yeah. The, the con sort of how we're addressing it at my at our local training center and then with 500 rising is they're parallel and one is a bit more intense than the other we've over the years we've done variety of permutations of an onboarding program at our training center and we keep reinventing the wheel to try and find the best approach and i don't think we have it quite yet but in that onboarding process as a new student there are certain things that we do that you get exposed to. So we have conversations. We, we try not to get too, you know, throw the PowerPoint up so much, but we do a lot of whiteboard talk <laughs> yeah, sure. on, you know, what that self-defense is a legal term, for example, and what does that mean? And what, you know, there's a couple of different acronyms out there for establishing the circumstances of self-defense or no, like we, we use IMOP and that means opportunity preclusion. So we talk about that. These are the factors that get to be considered. And, this is, you know, the four factors involved in every violent encounter, and this is what they are. And the, the traditional four places where things can break bad, <laughs> like mm-hmm. how to know the environment that you're in. And we we have these 15 to 30-minute conversations with students in this onboarding process where we flush this out, and not as deeply as we could, certainly, but enough that it's not a two-second soundbite in between striking patterns, right? So, yeah. and then on, and then on the mat, ongoing, because our students have that foundation underneath them, at least a little bit, will we make little sound bites as we go through class? And you know, and what's we have a huge advantage, I think, at our training center that that I'm very grateful for because we're in the general Washington D.C. metro area. We have a a decent number of people who are involved, like DOD, federal law enforcement, you know, contractors, et cetera, who train at the training center. And they're, they are really quick to reinforce those sound bites when we say them. So, um, I had a guy not too long ago in class, one of our newer students, he's in our onboarding program, say, I was thinking about this when you're talking about your gentleman with the, you know, with a varying degree of disability. Well, when do I hit them? Right. When do I get to do that? Yeah. He pretty much asked the same question. We were doing a drill, this was about three weeks ago, 
that was based on escape and evasion. So it was a defensive action and create space, get out, go, create space, get out, go. And we were repping this. And finally, he looked at me, he was very frustrated. And he goes, well, when do we just get to hit him? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what you're there for, right? Right. So that's the expectation. People come through the door like I'm, you know, it's crab. We're going to, you know, we're going to smash things. Um, and so it, and then we had a brief conversation and then put a pin in it and came back after class and just talked about it a little bit more in depth that, and this is not a small human being. He is not, he's not five foot five. This guy's well over six feet tall. He's in decent physical condition. And I'm like, you, you're going to stand out in a crowd when you smash somebody in the face. Yeah. You're going to, you know, like there's, I get the frustration of you just want to hit him to teach him a lesson, but there's a big picture for us to look at here that you need to be able to assess. So the, the, that's the, within our training program, how we're trying to address it. It's certainly not a perfect model, but it's better than not at all. Yeah. Each piece of the training curriculum as we develop instructors. Yeah, and I've seen <clears throat> I've seen some other or I've heard about some other and, and seen it firsthand too, some other Krav schools that are starting up what they they've kind of done with the notion of coming into level one, if you will. And they've implemented mm-hmm. a lot of these I think most of them are calling them like foundations, right? You come in and figure yeah. out if you know how to throw a punch or not and then let's spend some time talking to you about stuff too and i think that's a a it's, it makes for a better feeder <clears throat> to get them prepared for what they're about to have to go through and then b it gets them used to the idea of thinking about some things they may not have before and things that they need to right like situational awareness de-escalation avoidance on and on and on yeah, hundred percent. And I, I and I, it's a really positive trend. I know several other, like you, I know several cross schools across the country from who whose systems, you know, they were affiliated with a variety of systems. So they're not all people I know from when we were with KMG, but and, and they're all beginning to trend. Well, not all of them, but the ones I know, right, are starting to trend that way. And that's a really positive sign that there's that that's beginning to happen within the training centers. Uh, so two thoughts come to mind is you were talking about, you know, what's the practicality of doing long rifle defenses in Costco, you know, <laughs> could happen, but, you know, and it's super cool and it makes for an attractive seminar uh, to put out there for the yep. weekend. Uh, I think going back, um, which obviously has never been taught, at least I haven't had the fortune of learning it yet. And, uh, but it's in my book uh, is hand grenade defense. I think that's one that we all should study up on <laughs> right in the right. back of the so book but it's still it's, there yeah and 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 that's where so you know cross foundation it's a military fighting system yeah and so it it's born from that that's one of the beauties of it and yeah. the you know my instructor al used to who worked directly with emi for decades used to say that emi would say if we're teaching something my wife can't do, then we shouldn't be teaching it. Um, and it still sense. has those military roots. And, you know, we just, we, we, I think we have to be careful as instructors to manage how much of, of the Kool-Aid we willfully drink. Yeah. And, 
you know. And, and more importantly, and how much of that Kool-Aid spell that we spit back out to the students, right? Yeah. Uh, I've got a Absolutely. bunch of what I would probably consider at this point philosophical questions, but, you know, piggybacking on getting people more interested in their personal safety, you know, doing a better job of disseminating, disseminating the information as much or more than we do the physical aspects. You know, <clears throat> I've spent, as I'm sure you have too, I've spent a lot of time reviewing videos, reading horrible stories, whatever, watching a lot of videos I probably should not have watched and will never be able to get out of my head again. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't do it more themselves. But, you know, in order to be a, a good student, you need to take on studying and learning more about violence on your own accord as well. It's not just about coming in class and learning uh, specific contexts and modalities. You need to, to get the full effect. You need to go study. And some of that involves watching these horrific things through security footage or whatever else and not watching videos or uh, not, sorry, not videos, but movies, right? Not taking your cues from mm -hmm. the typical media outlet in Hollywood. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think it's a balancing act. A hundred percent on the cues from Hollywood. My husband, who's got a law enforcement background, he and I are horrible watching movies together. Cause we're like, that's not a sleeper hold. You know, like what, what was that? Yeah. Um, so we, you know, so we have to like, okay, we're just watching for entertainment and, you know, let all the Hollywood stuff go by. But the, I think the, this is actually a really good question about watching the actual like CCTV footage and stuff. And that when we did our first instructional foundations course for 500 rising last year, um, I just a stellar group of people are in that, that first course. And yeah. one of them was a young woman who's been a martial artist her whole life and, and an instructor. She, she used this really cool um, sort of analogy. She said, you know, our, our lives are, pies right so we've got our lives are all divided up into different pieces you know the mom the mom piece the you know the work you know professional piece the the, the martial arts piece the whatever and she said you know life is there there's there's the violence slice right and that there's more there's lots to life and so i think there's a cautionary tale like because like you said watching stuff that you won't ever be able to get out of your head um in encouraging people to go learn about violence so they understand it more, so they understand that it's not a Hollywood conversation. I think that's valid. And yeah. I think um, a friend of mine calls it violence porn. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like being careful about spending too much time in in that as well. And when I, I had this really interesting request a couple of years ago, to do a women's self-defense seminar, like a day-long course that had zero physical mm. in it because the, the woman who was sponsoring it said, I've got, I have a whole handful of women who I would come and do this, but they're not, they either won't do the physical, don't want to do the physical or can't. Yeah. And I was like, all right, so that's the first. And sure, let's see what happens. And, and you've sold and out, was, right? <laughs> we, yeah, we did actually. And, and you know, I, a woman in the course who's 
uh, has MS and so she's wheelchair bound and, sure. you know, she didn't ever come to anything else that's more traditional. And as we were going through the material, I had, I had a couple of videos that I use when I'm teaching of like, and that's what this looks like. And that's what this looks like. And I've learned to tee people up ahead of time instead of just letting it roll. Cause yeah. I'm so used to seeing it and both as a self-defense instructor, but working as a psychotherapist with a whole scope of violent behavior, both in offenders as well as survivors and reading case history after case history after case history of like, wow, humans really do that to each other. Okay. You know, for basically almost 30 years, I'm, I'm a little numb to it and I've, you know, fail up, screwed up a couple of times and I've learned to pause and go, okay, so now what's going to be on that screen is a video and I just want you to be aware. It's, you know, it's pretty raw and we're not going to watch it ad nauseum. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like letting people know, because I think we need to balance the, I don't know. I think there's a balance point there. Well, you know, I think watching stuff like that, and again, it's it's easy to kind of get caught up in, as you say, the violence porn, right? Because, you know, being a student of, I, I watch a lot of it. Probably not as much as some, I'm sure, but I watch a lot of it. And I think it serves, well, I almost say three purposes off the top of my head. One is, it shows uh, that things don't look like and don't work like they are in the movies, like they do in the movies. I think that's huge, yeah. and that's a drum I bang on all the time. It ain't like Hollywood kids. Um, the other one is is that just the flip side of that coin, it shows you realistically how things happen and what really occurs. And, you know, they're, again, they're kind of all tied together. <clears throat> but the other one is that, it keeps what you think you're learning or these, the Kool-Aid that you've drank or the scenarios you think you'll face in check, even when you're doing something as good as Krav, right? So, for example, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as one I harp on, I've harped on a few times over the years. I think one of the, and, you know, Krav overall is great. But for me personally, dynamic knife attack defenses in Krav, forget about it. And I know some schools have worked to modify it and gone to, you know, more to two hands on and yada, yada, yada and whatever else. But once you've seen a few real knife attacks and how they go down, you're like, that shit's never going to work. That's not to say it doesn't have its place in learning. And it definitely makes for a cool seminar and it gives you some sort of tool in your toolbox kit overall, right? But it's not until you see how they generally happen that you go, hmm, I wonder. Like, I've thought this is what I needed to be doing, but I can see now I might need to learn more or there's a good chance that it's not going to work, right? So I think think seeing that stuff serves those purposes for sure. Yeah, and I would would totally support you on that because it's, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about from a cross standpoint and, you know, from a, a military mindset, I'm on patrol, I'm armed to the teeth. Yeah. I expect you to pull a knife and come at me. Some of those dynamic knife defenses that are taught in the Krav tradition have some application in that specific context because I'm ready and I'm already, you know, kind of moving off the X and working left to bang and all that kind of stuff. And 
but we and we were like we're one of those schools that you're talking about. I've had the privilege of training with Terry Trahan and um, who really gets knives and really gets stabbing people. And yeah. the U.S. our knife culture is a prison culture. We shank people. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do. We're here. a bunch of shankers. You know, you know, yeah. Um, you know, and so we've altered just at our training center, and we've added those those dynamics in so that people have that reality check and um and i think that's like you said that's really it's an important aspect of training when it comes to just mindfulness of what we're learning yeah mindfulness is a is a overlooked word i think concept a lot of times um i'm just kind of looking down my list of things i wanted us to talk through and again some of this is just opinion or philosophical whatever but um and i can't remember if it was one of your papers i was reading or or where i got some of my thoughts from but you know somewhere recently and i know i've been taught in the past you know what's your number one defense rule what's your number one defense and the the you know some students will give kicks punches whatever and you know i was I've worked with several instructors like, no, your number one defense is running and getting the hell out of there. Right. And (laughs) Krav, and you know, I think, and if I remember right, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I read a lot of stuff, but um, I think in your paper, you were saying, you know, for women, this is okay. Right. It's the man's world that it's kind of considered cowardice or not cool to back down and run off. So a lot of the systems are built around this mentality because it is a man's world, right? Or at least perceived um, Mm -hmm. to some degrees. But, you know, the whole running away thing is kind of counterintuitive to Krav because, you know, you're up on the balls of your feet, your back heels lifted up off the ground. You're always supposed to be pressing forward, moving forward, moving forward. You're never turning around and running away. So how do you reconcile it being okay to run away with Krav on a philosophical basis? Does that make sense? It does. That's a really good question. Yeah. It's the, and it, and it's a very, it's super logical to look at the martial art combat fighting system world and identify it as quote a man's world because it's, all of this stuff, you know, whether it's Kung Fu or it doesn't matter. It all started as some fighting system somewhere to deal with combat. (laughs) That's that's why it's there. So, and, you know, historically, you go back a thousand, fifteen hundred years, majority of the people who went to war were the men. So it's not like it's a, you know, down with patriarchy because this is a man's world and <laughs> kind of a conversation. Yeah. It's just historically how we got here, right? Sure. So, and with that historical conversation of the the war mindset, is you go to war to hold hold your ground, literally, for your king, country, and whatever, or um, or to take back land or to take land of your, you know trying to expand your horizons your kingdom as a, as a yeah. country yes um and you know so the idea of of retreating which is it was it's the an, antithesis of the mindset of war so all of this 
there's this is a logical progression in mindset and and so and Krav is that constant forward pressure, right? Yeah. I love as you're describing that press through, go, go, go. You know, so you, um and one of the things I have to give Al Yanal credit for is that he he was pretty good about every once in a while, especially with the instructors when we would be at an update saying like, you know, like this, this now you um, and trying to bring that into the mindset. So I think philosophically, the distinction is there is a there is a difference between and being in your backyard. If we're you know going to wax metaphoric, I, I lost you for like two seconds. The connection went out. There's a difference between what oh, in your backyard. Sorry. There's a difference between being on the battlefield and being in your backyard. Yes. Yeah, or in your front and, street, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. And the again, I feel really privileged that our training center happens to be in the DMV area because I have a lot of soldiers. Some have been active duty, some have, are retired, and people who've been boots on the ground and had things been shot at, and you know things blow up nearby, who are who train with us. And part of why some of them have said part of why they're there on the mat with us is to is to civilianize themselves in a sense like to be able to not automatically flip the switch and be in combat mode yeah in the grocery store which doesn't work <laughs> right. right it's not, <laughs> it's not, not appropriate here so, <laughs> yeah and and that's the that's the distinction it's to learn to fight learn to hold your ground learn to learn to have good targeting learn to have weaponize your body learn how structure and leverage and the, the meat puzzle that is the human body, learn how it works, learn how it can be taken apart so that you know how yours can be taken apart and how you can take apart somebody else's. And then remember that like it or not, you live in a society that has a rule of law governing your choices around those behaviors. And that comes to the party too. Yeah. And, and that's, that's our, how we, I guess, how we blend it within our philosophy as a training center. Sure. Yeah. I, um, yeah, the military thing's an interesting, I hadn't thought of that before and I've had the opportunity and been honored to be able to work with some of those former Marines. And I even got to work out some with a former Navy SEAL once upon a time, <clears throat> which was great. He and I had a great relationship and he was just there simply to keep his wits about him and to stay in shape. And that's, that was good enough. You know, um, there's a lot of merit in that for sure. Um, and I'm skipping all over the place here cause I knew this would be like this. That's okay though. Um, hundred <laughs> percent. So, uh, talking about legalities and kind of going back to, you know, self-defense, the term self-defense in and of itself is a legal term. And I think legalities of self-defense is another overlooked topic, subject matter, um, you know, and specifically Krav, again, it's always go, 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 you know, go home safe at all costs, do whatever. But are you seeing any... Are you seeing anything, um, and I know, I think you touched upon this a little bit earlier, but 
Are you seeing any changes relative to discussing legalities of self-defense in classes overall, along with the situational awareness or everything else that needs to be talked about? You know, I have a I have a sampling bias problem in answering that question because yeah. my answer is yes, but I hang out with people for whom that's important. Well, you have so, you have like, a hubby uh, that's LEO, right? So. <laughs> yeah, and part of the Violence Dynamics teaching team, which consists of a retired, you know, jail guard and a current active law enforcement slash SWAT officer and a guy who was a security officer and a bouncer. They don't call them that in Canada, but, um, yeah. you know, for, you know, decades. So it's like I'm, I hang out with people and have the privilege of working with people who really get that. So my sampling bias says, yes, I see a lot of it. <laughs> But I hang out with people for whom it's important. Um, But I do think it's starting to begin to show up in in more places. And I I find an interest in it, if nothing else, elevating. One of the things with (laughs) Yeah, well, right. I mean we it's and and I think that's um that's really good news. Like this guy on the mat a couple weeks ago with us who was like, Well, when do I just get to hit the guy? And then you know, a couple of weeks after that, we have a ritual we do at the end of every class where people say like a quick sentence or something they take away from that particular class or that training session. Sure. And then, you know, a few weeks down forward, he's like, I'm seeing things in so many different ways now than he, as a traditional martial artist, where you, you hit kick and punch until the other guy is dropped and then you know, you stand there and make sure it doesn't get back up again. Um, So I, I think it is the, I think it's beginning to really seep in. I don't think it's a tidal wave yet by any means, but I think it's beginning to seep into the training culture as a whole that we need to pay attention to that. Like, um, you know, it's somebody uh, periodically, somebody on the mat will do something that if, if somebody I know, and I know they're just kind of screwing around, you know, I'll roll my eyes at them. And then other times you get somebody who does something that is egregious, like, wow, buddy, you're going to jail. Just so you know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, cause, cause the fight was over and yeah. you, you know, you weren't able to see it or acknowledge it. Yeah. And, and those are all, luckily those are all moments where we get to pause tape and have a conversation about it and some people hear it and I've got a few who don't those don't usually stay with us very long at our training center here in Northern Virginia because they don't want to hear it they're going to hear it a lot and then you know then we lose them and it's like okay got it yep. you want to go someplace and train where you can just bang and punch people and you know and oh okay yeah I can make recommendations because this isn't going to be it this is not the place um women I know we talked about first question out of the gate is how do we get people in general, but certainly women more interested to the point where they'd want to come and learn more, whether it's the informational aspects, which I think could be even a good stopping point for a lot of people. You know, if you avoid most everything, Mm -hmm. boom, there's no reason to go to physical, much less tools like firearms or otherwise. Um, What do you think the biggest I don't know if I want to phrase it obstacle in getting women into class or what's the biggest thing you have to overcome for them working with them when they get 
to school or they make that leap. You know, they've already made some major decisions for themselves just to decide to walk through the door. Once you get them in there, what are your challenges and how, and how do you get them to the point where you want to see them? It's a good question. I think um, one of the things that helps keep women training or encourage women to come back for another workshop is, and this is a simple but not easy solution, which is to get, get more women teaching. Just, and, and, you know, that means that takes time. You have to have the women who want to, you know, get the skill and they want to be able to teach and get out there and, you know, so they've got to do their own training. But when, when women walk into a class, let's say focused on women, so like women's self-defense and they walk in and they see two very fit guys standing at the front of the room who are going to tell them how to carry cabbage. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, ugh. There, there are some women are going to be 100% fine and not care at all about that. And other women at a point are going to watch some of this and go, but you're twice my size and twice as strong and half as, as old as I am. And I'm questioning whether or not like I'm can that I can do what you're doing. So some of it is get the, get women up there teaching so that they like I'm, I live in the body you live in, relatively speaking, and um, you know I have less bone density and I have less muscle. Even if I, to a man who weighs 120 pounds and a woman who weighs 120 pounds, and they work out at the same weightlifting regimen, he is going to typically put on more muscle fiber than she will, um, training session per training session, because biologically he's just put together a little bit differently. So having more women teach helps retention and helps getting through the door to be sure. And then I think it's, it's all about permission. So acknowledging that she's smart. Yeah. She gets the bullshit when she sees it, you know, it's like, yeah. and, and acknowledging it. if you see her standing kind of in the back, she's got that shoulder cocked a little bit and the chin cocked to the side and the eyes are a little squinty. Don't ignore it. You know, maybe not call it out in the middle of class, but once they start working on a rep, walk over to and go, hey, I, you know, it looks like you're, you're questioning the skill or questioning what I was saying or yeah. whatever. And like, let's, fantastic. What are your doubts? Let's talk about it. Um, and so letting them, letting them disbelieve and walk it out and have a conversation, acknowledge their natural intelligence about the world that they live in or that we live in. And, you know, especially as a male instructor, that becomes critical. And then the flip side of that is these, we get to as instructors be very conscious of the intense levels of social conditioning. Men and women both have been marinating in since the second they were born. Yeah. And for women, that, that social conditioning is, Still, even with young women, like I have uh, several high school age girls who train with us. So even for them, they'll say, we're taught to be polite. We're taught to be nice. We're taught not to be rude. We're taught, you know, it's like, so if I'm asking you to go a little harder, strike in the pads of the person who's holding the pads, this happened the other day, um, the mom and daughter team who are training with us and they're, they're, they're a really interesting pair and Mom really wants the daughter to train. Yeah. So mom's kind of there to train with her. Sure. And mom encourages her. And then 
but neither one of them have a physical background. And, and this little girl's got some juice and, and, and not a lot of control yet. And so she's hitting the pad and the pad mom's structure is not super great as mom's holding the pad and the pad bounces backwards and mom hits herself in the face with the pad. Yeah. And, and, and this little 14 year old girl is like instantly cringing. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and mom is like, I want to, you could see her struggle with wanting to go, no, it's fine. But yeah. wait a minute. You just sort of punched me in the face. I'm not okay with that. So giving permission for that struggle to be valid and real like this, that was all, all their social conditioning bubbling up to the surface and playing with or screwing with their training and you know, being able to address it, I think is, you know, I would say constantly, but I don't mean like barraging people with it, but just, I, I call them drive by yep. comments. Like as an instructor, you walk by and you go, God, I totally get like, oh, I just sort of smashed my mom in the face. Ah, I have to ride home with her. I wonder how that's going to go. <laughs> How's that going to go and, over? <laughs> you know, right? You just creating opportunities to create permission after permission after permission that it's it's okay to do, to violate all that social programming in these circumstances. And that's huge. And I think that's where a lot of women struggle to come back to training or to continue with it at a point there's, there are comfort plateaus and to go past where I'm at now means really confronting some of the, the discomfort that I experienced emotionally, psychologically and physically, if I'm going to take it to the next level. I think a mistake that a lot of people make in coaching other people training is that they don't openly acknowledge their struggles. Yeah. Yeah, it would be nice if you could get students, especially, you know, women, girls, young girls, whatever, get to the point where they're actually comfortable setting boundaries for themselves. And then when they happen to be at that gas station a little after dark because they were running late home from the office or wherever they're doing, getting them to the point where they're okay going, back up, motherfucker, and that being okay, right? Like, it's okay. Yeah getting them comfortable with that idea um flipping that coin around on you uh for just a minute uh and also for uh purely selfish reasons as well uh what would you tell men that they could be doing differently or better to uh encourage women or to uh work with women better in those settings specifically Um, training obviously yeah, yeah. So from a training perspective, I my first set of responses focus on the instructor, like guys, the men who are functioning as the instructor, and so that's probably where my answers are going to trend. Um, you know, I think acknowledging social conditioning and that works both ways. So the social conditioning for men in the physical encounter is, you know, that there's that um, not currently because of all the things that go sideways if boys tussle on the playground, but yeah. back, you know, and you know, the school, they throw a couple of punches and they roll around on the dirt and, you know, and their buddies are standing there egging them on. And then eventually they get pulled apart and, you know, friends afterwards and, and that social conditioning, but where the physical encounter follows a set of unwritten rules and so it's a it's a fight and 
And a lot of, through the years in working with male instructors, when I was working in a position with one of the international organizations, is that it's really tough for male instructors to even, just as, just as it's tough for women to see their social conditioning, it's tough for men to see their own social conditioning and recognize that they have a fight or a fighter's mindset to the physical encounter because that's how they've been conditioned. Sure. And that for women in self-defense, even, you know, even if we're looking at through a martial arts lens, if she's in ever in a situation where it goes physical, this is not a fight. This is not following those rules because it's an entirely different encounter. So, you know, for men to be able to acknowledge their own biases about physical encounters and then their biases about physical encounters in women, I think is a huge, huge starting point that opens things up a lot for guys who are teaching who really want to effectively reach the women on the mat. And then, you know, obviously I've, I'm not short on words or things to say on this one, but I think that the, I think the other thing that like if, if you are, if you're a male instructor in a training center, look to the women who are on the mat who may either have look like they have some talent for it or for whatever reason you feel like you could be an instructor and go talk to her. Create the invitation. Like get the women Get, create the invite to, have you ever thought about being an instructor? You'd be really good at it. I'd like to talk to you about it yeah. and get more women teaching that. I mean, that's, that's a huge aspect that he can do as an instructor. And then to also just be, how do I say this? Um, so everything is going to go to those, the social conditioning things and so maybe the best way to do is give some examples of kind of like what not to do yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so I, I watched um, I watched a video sometime in the last like probably 24 months of a of uh, you know some of the big names out there in the different martial arts industries so you know for example like grapplers and BJJ and I was watching a video of a um, one of the bigger name BJJ instructor kind of systems and he's standing on the mat there it's obviously an instructional video and he's like you know so so and so points to his female counterpart is going to be teaching x y and z skill today and then he goes on and spends about i don't know five to ten minutes talking about the technique and what they're going to do and how it's going to go and blah 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 and then they go to the demo and she's demoing the the technique and he's still explaining it and then she says a few things and then she says a few things more and they get you know short video they get to the end and he wraps it up so he says at the beginning i was really excited about this he's like someone says going to teach this i'm like cool awesome she didn't she didn't Mm. he did it he did all the teaching and he didn't he wasn't doing it to be an ass he wasn't doing it he it just it's just the way it goes it's just the way it goes right And and yeah. that's that unconscious mindset and bias and social conditioning that took him over, so that like, hey, she's going to teach this, but I'm actually the one going to who's actually teaching it. And Technically, <laughs> another great example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, she was there. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. In the room. Um, and and another so a um, a colleague who's developing or developing 
some women's self-defense training with one of her instructors in traditional martial arts and um and they have made a decision good bad right wrong or otherwise i you know i I have a judgment about it but it's not my place to judge what they do sure that they're going to split you know they're splitting the duties which is good everybody knows what they're doing you can hone in what you're going to be teaching but they split them down straight down the line of all the prevention situation awareness threat assessment de-escalation blah 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 that's all hers to teach Uh, he's teaching all this physical stuff and i had a thing to say about that uh, when she and i were talking about this some time ago yeah and her comment was he said and he's 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 a younger guy so it's not like my generation of people who i expect a little bit more gender bias out of so the younger guy says well i just i don't like the way it looks if you're throwing me around on the mat <laughs> and i'm like wow oh chewing my lip i'm like oh jeez, yeah because and again that's his you know he's his bias is so strong there. A little bit of ego, you know, uh, well, everything that a goes little into bit. that. And I don't know him. So it's, yeah. <laughs> Be careful about how hard I throw him under a bus because I don't know him. And yeah, I know yeah. he's, he's probably a really good guy. But, sure. you know, and, and so it's these, these little stories of things that keep popping up where it's like, well, she should totally be throwing you around on the mat in Absolutely. front of a room full of women. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. That's what should be happening. You should be her assistant. Yep. Sell that all day long. Not not the other way around. And so I think male instructors who want to reach women in women's self-defense, knock your lights out because the reality is it, it's still, in my perfect world, women teach women teach women and because we don't have enough women doing it yet. Yeah. But that's also the reality. And so if we say that we, you know, we, we, we're only going to focus on training up women to be self-defense instructors, which is certainly one of our goals in 500 Rising is to get more women to that place. Sure. If I say um, we're not going to work with the men, then I cut off the majority of the people who are teaching self-defense. And that's not with them either. So I think being aware that you, and this is a bit meta meta level maybe philosophical stuff is that as a like as a female instructor on the mat with a bunch of guys on the mat i don't know what it's like to walk around in their body right. i have no idea what it's like to be six foot three i i got, I got nothing <laughs> it's just and i never will i just it's not i've never been a six foot three 220 pound guy i just haven't and so i have to let my male students be the experts on their life experience and flipping that the male instructors need to let their female students be the experts on what it's like to be female. Well, you know, after we've talked about all this, you know, what comes to my mind is the the short of it is, is that male instructors, if you're teaching, going to teach self-defense to anything other than a bunch of, you know, testosterone driven men. And of course there's a lot of schools that do that, right? MMA, whatever. Um, Not that all are, but you know what I mean? Uh, They have a responsibility to take extra care to reach out and connect with their female students as much as any other. 
Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, that's my bias. I think, I think so. I also, you know, we're self-selecting humans. And if you have a balls to the wall MMA program where people are just, everybody's gearing to get in the ring. Yeah. Then you're going to draw the women who are interested in that level of fighting. Sure. And you're not going to draw the ones who aren't. And if you're cool with that, then be, be cool with that. Know what you're, know what you're good at and, and be that. But if you're an MMA school who wants to teach self-defense, go get some education because I've had not too long ago, there's a big to do in some social media platform about, um, about some self-defense stuff that was somebody pulled somebody else's video and gone, this is shit, you know, look at this, the garbage. And a bunch of MMA fighters chimed in to support, this is garbage. This would never work in the ring. I'm like, because well, it's not designed for the it's ring. It's not for the ring, <laughs> right. Like, it's not the point. So if that's who you are, good on you. If you want to reach people who aren't going to self-select to your approach to training then go get, uh, go, go back to school. Yeah. Yeah. I think more emphasis needs to be put on, um, the fact that for stuff like you're doing and others, you know, women are going to make the big leap, the big decision, the choice to come and learn to train for whatever period of time, they're there for and you have an opportunity to help them and connect with them like you would any other student male male student i should say um mm -hmm. so if you need extra education to help you understand the differences to help facilitate that then by all means that should be part of your educational lineup uh just a couple more questions here and and forgive me for this one because I think you typed it up from your phone and you might have been driving or riding on the back of a motorcycle <laughs> or likely. something I'm not sure and you said apologize for the brevity in this spelling so I was like uh oh here we go but you wanted to talk about how men could better authentically collaborate to make changes and so can you expound about that? Cause I know you wanted to talk about this and I want to do it justice. Yeah. I, so I think if pulling out of just the instructor lens, um, and like uh, just guys in general, most, so there's, you know, I love the conversation and I say this both authentically and somewhat sarcastically <laughs> of where, you know, the, the current cultural song siren song is, you know, don't teach women how to fight, i.e. self-defense, teach men how not to write. Oh, so cer certainly cultural change is, is always wanted and needed. Sure. And, and the, the, the good guys are, it, so it's not that like guys don't know that it's wrong. <laughs> no, <right. laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, you know, it's, it's not that that's a mystery that forced sexual interaction is, you know, like, Oh, I didn't know that that was a bad thing. Are you uh, telling me that's mystery. taboo? Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. Such yeah. a surprise. Um, it's, it's just, they don't care. So when you have, you have people who are going to violate somebody else's body from a sexual standpoint, it's not that they don't know that it's wrong. They just don't care. They just don't so care. Yeah. Teaching men not to rape is, you know, kind of a, 
mm-hmm. not going to be the, the changing dynamic, but cultural change is. So one thing that, again, failing up years ago, like eight, ten years ago, I was doing a, um, like a, like a foundation seminar thing ran about eight weeks and mixed men and women in the class. And there was, um, people in there that I knew. And one of them was a mom, uh, a single mom, three boys. Oldest kid was like a junior, senior in high school footballer, you know, just big, strong guy. And we'd been, she had gone home and was practicing the stuff. And so he, he was like, well, you know, okay, I'll practice with you. And he, whatever the whole, was probably like a bear hug or something like that. He grabbed her bigger, stronger, taller, everything than she is. And he is like, got her, like hard got her. And the technique failed predictably because it's her kid. She's not going to Hmm. nail him (laughs) so hard in the balls that he's puking. She's not going to bloody his nose with an elbow. It's her kid, right? But she came, so he said, what you're learning doesn't work, mom. And she came back to class very, like, unsteady. Like, I, I not, not believing that what she was learning wouldn't work, she interpreted it as, I can't learn to do this effectively. I'm not capable. Mm. And so we started a policy 10, 10 years, you know, following on from that of telling students in seminar stuff. So I'm getting to the, how this relates to my thing here in a second. Bear with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you're get, when you go home, if you go home and you're going to try and practice this stuff, and this is the thing that we say to the women, like you're going to go home and practice this stuff. The person you're asking is somebody you're not, you're going to be super hesitant to actually just haul off and really hurt them. So tell your male training partner at home, you, you have two options and therefore they have two options. They can feed you the technique, the attack. So you can learn, you can learn, you can practice. Yeah. You can find what you don't know yet. Or, you, they can feed you the technique in a way that you have to execute the defense. Mm. That's it. You got two options. You got two Learn options. Learn or execute. Yeah. And, and, you know, so the flip side of that is to, to guys, like if you have women, you know, young women, junior high, up, whatever, girls in your life who, who do take the mat, who go to a self-defense seminar, this is, this is going to sound very crass. Don't be a dick when they come home. <laughs> Right. You know, like yeah, you got nothing to prove. And, and, yeah, you don't have anything to prove. And and a lot of and what I've learned since I said that once and somebody kind of backhanded me a little bit verbally and said, Look, it's not that I was trying to be an asshole. I I just really, really want her to be able to be safe. So I was trying to give her something authentic yeah. to work with. And like, all right, remember who you are to her. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it so be be mindful of the women in your life who are who choose to do this. Encourage the heck out of it, first of all. Like go baby go. Yeah. If you're if this is a spouse or a partner, offer to take care of the kids. Offer to do the grocery shopping. Offer to do whatever she might otherwise feel like she's abandoning Got or time. Yeah. you know, like well if I if I if I, right, if I go to class tonight then X doesn't happen, the kids are gonna eat McDonalds again, you know? Yeah. Like say this is important for the next six to eight months year or whatever that you're going to be doing this training you tell me what nights you're going to be in class and i got it i got your back i you know i've got it and and i think that's that's something that in the men over the years that i've talked to they're like well of course i'm like yes but did you say that to her Mm -hmm. because if you don't 
say it, she's still going to carry that sense of duty and responsibility of, well, I'm not the one who's doing it. And it's kind of, he's taking it on, but it isn't, he's doing it because he kind of has to, as opposed to like, he's volunteering to do this. So I think there are a lot of ways in, at the relationship level that the men can support the women in their lives to go get the, the training and get it to the level that they can own it. Sure. Yeah. And we have to keep in mind too, just on a not male, female issue, but you know, the, your partner is yep. the most important person in class, right? It's not your opponent, it's your partner. So you need to remember that they're working with you as much as you should be working with them. And so it may have been inexperienced on her son's part or, him just trying and to make a point who only knows, but you know, there's some give and take there. And if you want to go hard, we'll go hard. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and that goes to training on the map between men and women as well. I've had guys, you know, I've, I've walked by guys partnered with women and kind of, you know, tapped them on the shoulder and said something kind of funny about how they're holding back or you could see that hesitancy. And I'm like, look, you're not doing her any favors. All your teeth, you know, like this is not, she's not here for somebody to be nice to her, you know, like yeah. that's not why she's here. So you're not, you're not a good training partner right now, even though you think you're, you're trying to be one. Some of the by, roughest, you know, hardest gentle. partners I've had are some of the balls out females in class. Some of them go hard. <laughs> I've been on the receiving yep. end of it and it's great when you see it. Um, one last question. I'm going to flip it around on you if, if I haven't already done that yet um, during this time. In one or two sentences, what are your takeaways from our time together? You it's said, all, that, you, uh, you, said you did that in class. Yeah. I had to do it. Yes, I do. Of course, of course. I Well, it's always reassuring to have a conversation with somebody who is who gets this. And and that's certainly been my experience with you is, is the big picture self-defense. And because it, the more people that we meet who get it, the more we know that we're making, you know, like the, these changes and differences are, are happening out there that are wanted and needed. And, um, I have another takeaway from this and trying to figure out how to articulate it. Oh no, just let it rip. Yeah, I think that I'm probably the least articulate person you'll meet. So (laughs) I got got no problem. Um, it's good not to have, it's good not to have an answer sometimes. And uh, like, you know, you did that classic question of how do we get more people who, you know, like women in particular, how do we get more women on the mat? And, you know, I get asked that question all the time. And I think I'm going to have an answer every time. And every time I don't, um, it's good. It's good to not have an answer because then we, it makes me think. And it's important. We can all, and I'm certainly not an exception, go complacent in what we think we know. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point for sure. Uh, how can people find you? How can people get a hold of you, learn more, come see you, whatever? I'm fairly easy to find on the interwebs, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, All over the place. That's right. Yeah. Um, so the, the direct routes are 
500rising.com. That's the website for the 500 Rising Project, which is the our big push in w- women training women to become instructors on both the physical and the prevention side and getting guys trained who, in, in that material as well. So you can get me through the 500rising.com website. That's kind of an easy one to remember. You can find me through our training center as well, which is coreselfdefense.com and core is spelled with a K. And um, my information is there. You can find me on Facebook. So Good old Facebook. Yeah. And, you know, and, and if you go looking for me, you're also going to probably find the stuff if you dig deep enough, you're going to find people who don't like me, um, which is cool, too. That's you know, okay. read up on that, too. It's, yep. a, it's a big world. Everyone's got an opinion, right? <clears throat> well, this has been awesome. I've enjoyed it. So thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for your time, taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Good talk for sure. Yes. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much. <laughs>